Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Are you looking to wager on all the big games and sports? Well, man, do I have great news for you. Our partners at Bet Online continue to be the number one source for all your football betting needs this season. You can also bet on the NHL, NBA, tennis, boxing, and even golf. Live scores, free contests, live betting, you name it. It's all there. Latest odds, matchup info, player news, and game trends. All you have to do is head on over to betonline.ag. That's betonline.ag to join and receive your 100% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use our promo code BELIEVE to get started and receive your rewards. That's BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V. Bet online where the game starts. Before sunrise, Burn Dairy and Deli is preparing to fuel your day with hot coffee, donuts, muffins, breakfast sandwiches, and other morning staples. For lunch, grab a giant deli sandwich made the way you like it. Pizza, wings, wraps, or a fresh salad. Plus, something to wash it down. Then pick up dinner or a sweet treat and other pantry essentials. Now you can get your Burn Dairy and Deli favorites delivered with DoorDash. All day, every day, you can count on Burn Dairy and Deli. It's all good. Hi, this is Bob Costas, and you're listening to the ML Sports Platter. The ML Sports Platter, back with you all over the major platforms. Make sure you download, subscribe, rate, and review the podcast where you get podcasts on your smartphone device. We are brought to you by our great friends at Carvel of North Syracuse. Make sure you stop by Carvel of North Syracuse today if you're in and around Central New York and grab that ice cream cake for any occasion. And a big time thanks as well to Camillus Golf Club, Ken's Auto Detailing, Stanley Law Offices, and Stumble and Monkey Brewing Company. The official brewing company of the ML Sports Platter is Stumble and Monkey Brewing Company out there in Victor and Rochester area. Make sure you stop by, uh, sign up for the Mug Club, grab the Crowlers, grab the Growlers, try the Irish Red Ale, the IPAs, the Sours and Seltzers, and everything in between at Stumble and Monkey Brewing Company. And I should note, the friends of the ML Sports Platter appreciate their support as well. The Swan and Whitaker families, Daryl Aber, Bob Lindsley, and the Alonzo family, Tino, Irvin, Janice, and Byron. All right, this is a huge show. I'm going to talk a little bit about SU football, uh, you know, being number 14 in the country in their upcoming game with the Clemson Tigers. And then I have a crossover episode from the Built in Buffalo Podcast Network on my Pandemonium podcast. I had Tyler Dunn on, the terrific Go Long NFL National Features writer and founder, who's now the author of The Blood and Guts, which is how tight ends save football. And it's an amazing book. I'm almost done with it. I just love having Tyler on. There's nobody covering the NFL like him. And then you'll hear my Bills Chiefs recap after that as well. So let's start with the Syracuse Orange. They're number 14 in the country. It's been a great year so far for Syracuse. And, you know, let's face it, uh, they started the gauntlet of the season with a win, right? They started 5-0, and and I was very interested to see how they were going to play in the last seven games against better, tougher competition and better up front defensive and offensive lines, right? I mean, that, that seemed to me one of the huge keys here was, you know, could Syracuse kind of, you know, weather it and, 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 and compete uh, against really, 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 really good defensive lines? Because frankly, the offensive line, in my opinion, for Syracuse this year has actually underperformed. They've had a lot of overperforming this year. Garrett Schrader, uh, Sean Tucker is always Sean Tucker. You know, Arande Gadsden, who's listed on the depth chart as a tight end, but he's really a wide receiver. Uh, Devon Cooper, uh, Courtney Jackson, those kind of guys uh, for a little while there. Uh, you know, you, you, you had 
some early promise um, and some some overachieving in in, in spots. Um, you know, some of the defenders. I think you know Michael Jones is Michael Jones. He's kind of the defensive version of Sean Tucker. But Marlo Wax has even played, I think, better than we maybe expected. Justin Barron has been terrific. Kevin Darton has been terrific. Um, you know, Garrett Williams. I think has played kind of how we expected. Um, but, but, you know, Caleb Okachukwu, I thought was a key player coming into this year. He's overperformed too. I thought he'd have a really nice year, but he's actually gone beyond that. I mean, Caleb Okachukwu is one of the best, uh, defensive linemen in the ACC. So Syracuse has had a lot of the overperforming, but, but the underperforming has been the offensive line. Um, but this is obviously a, a huge game against Clemson. I mean, Syracuse started the year five and zero going into NC state. Uh, they went into the game at home. Uh, it, it was a game that they needed. It was the first game of the gauntlet. NC State's a top 15 team. Ended up being a situation where they lost their starting quarterback for the year with a shoulder problem for Devin Leary. Sad news for him. I really feel for the kid. But Syracuse went in and took care of business. They, they did it with a, another dominating defensive performance. They did not let NC State into the end zone uh, at all. When it, when SU needed a drive, they got a drive. When they got a, we needed a turnover, they got a turnover. Uh, they were just fantastic across the board uh, in this game against uh, NC State. There was never a doubt uh, in my mind that they were going to win the football game. Uh, it was a sellout crowd. It was an amazing crowd, a loud crowd, uh, a crowd we haven't seen in Central New York in a very very long time. And I was just thoroughly impressed. I thought the game management and the coaching was terrific throughout. Uh, Syracuse basically, you know, at 10 to three, the game felt like it was over at halftime, even though it was only a touchdown game, you know, NC state gets a field goal. Then Syracuse puts together the, you know, arguably the drive of the game, 13 plays, 78 yards, 539 in time, uh, Gadsden caps it off with a 17 yard pass from Garrett Schrader, 17, six, another field goal for the Wolfpack. And then another, uh, drive for Syracuse, nine plays, 65 yards over 438. They win it 24 to nine and just wore down the Wolfpack. Well now, hey, hey, Death Valley, noon kickoff between two undefeated teams in Syracuse and Clemson. This is remarkable. Who would have ever thought it, you know, uh, at the start of the year, right, that, that Syracuse would be undefeated going into Clemson playing another undefeated team. This is the first time Syracuse is has started a season 6-0 since 1987, and it's actually the first time that they've started 6-0 and and that they're playing another team that is at least 6-0 since 1959. That was their championship season, of course. They played Penn State that year when SU was 6-0, and Penn State was 7-0. and And so this obviously is a daunting task. It's one of the toughest places to play in college football. Clemson's won uh, well over 30 games in a row uh, at home. They've got some major studs. They've got NFL talent all across the board on both sides of the football. But so does Syracuse. Not Well, not as much NFL talent, but they do have some NFL talent you know, on both sides of the football. I think Sean Tucker is going to run on Sundays. Uh, I think you could be seeing a development here with Gadsden. Maybe he gets a look down the line. Um, certainly Michael Jones and Garrett Williams are NFL prospects. So there are multiple guys there. Clemson's got obviously a potpourri of them, uh, and they're just very difficult to stop across the board. Again, in the trenches is where it starts with them. They're bigger. They're massive. Uh, incredibly uh, skilled with the footwork and the hands. DJ Uyunglele has has had just a, a a wonderful season. He was to me the key going in if Clemson was going to compete to make the college football playoff. He has not disappointed. Sixteen hundred sixty five yards through the air, seventeen touchdowns and only two interceptions. Um, you know the guy's been really really good on the ground as well. Very smart. Four touchdowns there. 
337 yards on 81 carries. Uh, just terrific stuff. He's bursted a couple pretty deep. In fact, his longest touchdown uh, was 40 yards this season. They run Will Shipley as well, who's very tough to bring down. And then it's a receiver by committee sort of thing. I mean, you got Williams and Collins and Nagat uh, 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 and Allen. Um, uh, Joseph Nada, uh, th th this receiver core isn't as good as some of the past ones with the Boyds and the Watkinsons and uh, Watkins uh, type players, but this is still a group that can catch it. And obviously, their defensive line is really, really, really stout and and tough. And they're great against the run. They're they're great against the pass. Uh, they can rush in and get things done. Their ends are fast. Their D-tackles are incredibly difficult to move. So this is going to be a really, really challenging game for Syracuse. But, hey, even if they lose this game, Syracuse is still 6-1. and one. They're in the driver's seat. I look at the Orange right now with the remaining schedule and just the fact that they haven't lost, and you got to lose sometime. they got Clemson. they got Notre Dame at home. They go at Pitt, Florida State at home, at Wake, at BC. You know, Notre Dame and Pitt fell out of the top 25. Syracuse... This year had five top 25 teams on the docket. And, you know, teams go in and out, of course. Clemson remains. NC State remains. Wake Forest remains. Florida State's dipped out. Pitt's, uh, well, Pitt and Notre Dame have dipped out from the beginning of the year. Uh, and then Notre Dame had dipped out. Florida State came in. Now Florida State has dipped out. So technically right now it looks like three top 25 teams on the schedule for Syracuse as we approach the game against Clemson. But look, at Clemson, Notre Dame at home, at Pitt, Florida State at home, at Wake, at Boston College, to me, if Syracuse can go 3-3, three and three, I know they win, want to win all the games, but if they can even just go 3-3 three and three at the very least, this team is going to have a major opportunity to play in a great bowl. I think there's still an opportunity to go 4-2 and two the rest of the way um, because they do have a couple of these games, the swing games, sort of the toss-up games at home. I mean, I think they can beat any team on the schedule except probably Clemson. Um, I'm not saying that it's zero chance, but I just think it will, it's going to be really, really hard. Um, but we've seen Syracuse play Clemson tough in the past. Um, you know, they pulled an upset off at home um, a few years ago. Uh, even in, in, in losing cases, they've, they've competed and, and, and almost taken Clemson out, uh, uh, you know, after that. Um, but even if you can, let's say, again, hypotheticals, I don't like to throw wins and losses here and there. That's a win, that's a loss. I don't like to do that. But if you can, if you can, let's say go three and three, maybe even four and two. You know, let's say you lose at Clemson, maybe you beat Notre Dame, you go at Pitt and win that game, you split with FSU and Wake Forest, and then beat Boston College on the road. Baboom! Yeah, it's a, you know nine ten win season. That's pretty good uh, for SU. So uh, let's see what happens. ABC kickoff for Syracuse and Clemson, number fourteen at number. Five in the country. ML Sports Platter brought to you by our friends at Burn Dairy. Make sure you go gas up your vehicle today at Burn Dairy. They've also got the delicious chocolate milk, coffee, and the donuts on your way into work. And of course, a tip of the cap thank you as well to Barks and Rec Doggy Daycare, Brian Conboy of Mass Mutual, New York State, MyHotTub.com, and Rosie's Corner. Make sure you stop by Rosie's Corner each and every week for their comfort food if you're in and around Central New York, Route 11, in front of the Brewton Bridge. In Burton, amazing stuff. Meatloaf Monday, Turkey Slop Tuesday, uh, Chicken and Biscuit Wednesday, Mac and Cheese Thursday and Friday. They've been rolling out the chili lately as well. They've got fish going on every Friday with your coleslaw fries and mac. It's a great place to eat. Take out or dine in at Rosie's Corner. Hey, try the garlic parm wings, try the meatball bomber, try the stuffed shells, all at Rosie's Corner. All right, as mentioned, to start the show, 
Uh, here's a crossover episode now uh, with Tyler Dunn, the terrific uh, author of The Blood and Guts, How Tight Ends Save Football, the, the founder of Go Long, national features writer for the NFL. Nobody's covering the NFL like this guy, man, between the short form and the long form. Now he's an author of this book. He hosts happy hours uh, with all of his fans, and he hosts the Isaiah McKenzie show. He's on location. He travels the country. He talks to the biggest people uh, in the sport, past and present. Nobody's doing it like Tyler Dunn right now. So here's that interview, and then my recap of the Bills and Chiefs on the Pandemonium podcast on the Built-in Buffalo Podcast Network. It's your boy DM3, and you're listening to Pandemonium with Mike Lindsley on the Buffalo Bills, exclusively on the Built to Buffalo Podcast Network. We waste no time here on the show. We bring in my good friend Tyler Dunn. He is the author of of a brand new book called The Blood and Guts, How Tight Ends Save Football. I'm about 230 uh, pages into this book, and I'm telling you, it's must-read stuff. Make sure you go get it online where books are sold in your nearby bookstores like Barnes & Noble as well. And don't forget to go to golongtd.com. Tyler is the editor and founder uh, and the national features writer uh, covering the National Football League. Go subscribe to this unbelievable website, long-form journalism, doing a great job. There's literally nobody covering the NFL like Tyler Dunn, and we bring him on right now to talk about the blood and guts. TD, thank you, buddy. How are you? Congrats. It is a honor and a pleasure to be here with you, Mike. Thanks so much for having me. It's just been awesome to, uh, to talk to you throughout this whole process, too. I feel like we've been uh, connected here for a while. No doubt about it. The timeline of the tight end, it goes back to you know the old guys, Mike Ditka, John Mackey, um, it, it's evolved over time into the modern tight end now, not necessarily in every down, um, you know, position, uh, they're, they're kind of moved around. They're in the slot. They're moving around all over the place, a lot less blocking. Uh, in fact, I just got done reading your, your piece with, with Heath Miller, uh, you know, just trying to play that every down back. When you look at the tight end position, you can say he was the most impactful. He was the most um, durable. He was the most this, he was the most that he, this one was the most talented, but when you rope in all of the things together, who's the best tight end in the history of the NFL? Rob Gronkowski. I really think it all comes Hmm. back to Gronk, right? Like he is, he, he embodies anything and everything you'd want at the tight end position. I mean, if you want somebody who is going to get down and dirty and knock people off the ball, look no further than the kid from Buffalo, New York, you know, beating the hell out of his brothers and getting the hell beat out of him by his brothers and and mini sticks hockey. And, you know, maybe, maybe taking a shot from Chris that knocked him out in the bathtub unconscious for a while. They thought he might be dead. Like this is somebody who has been a glutton for punishment his entire life. And was like, he was born to be a tight end who uh, inflicts and absorbs more punishment uh, than any of his peers. But he's also fun as hell, and he can make that play down the field that a wide receiver can make. And when his body and his game is released, at, at, you know, down in the secondary, nobody can really handle him. 
but it is that fun. It's that authenticity. I think it's that that personality that I think really does save the sport as much as anything because, you know, think about it. I mean, this dude in, in, in 2010, he goes to Bill Belichick, goes to the Patriots, this do-your-job robotic operation where, you know, we, we just all assume these guys don't even, you know, have brains or hearts. They're just kind of cogs in a machine. And he is himself. You know, he's partying after a Super Bowl loss. He's posing for photos with porn stars. He is joking about taking Tim Tebow's virginity. I mean, he... He refused to change in a world that it seems to kind of force you to change and force you to be a certain way. I think that was as good for the game as much as anything we could talk about X's and O's wise. So whatever lens you're looking through when it comes to the sport and whatever you're looking for, when you sit down to, you know, spend 10 hours in front of a TV, Rob Gronkowski supplied it. I really do think he's the best ever, let alone the numbers, right? I mean, the, the, the sheer domination of the game kind of speaks for itself too. When, when I'm reading this book, there's just so much that jumps out and, and it's just so good. It's so beautifully written and um, I'm almost done with it. And I just, I, I just have enjoyed it so much as much as any book I've really ever, ever read. And I, I mean that sincerely. Um, I appreciate that, man. Thanks yeah, so much. Of course. There's three names though, that kind of jump out for, for different reasons. And I'm sure that you, will uh, elaborate on that. I, I, I want to just give you the name uh, one at a time and just give you the floor on that individual, that player, that, you know, the impact, any, anywhere you want to go. And the first guy is Mike Dicka, right? I mean, you flew down to see him in Florida, I, I believe Naples at his golf course. And, and, and here's the prototypical early tight end who kind of set the path. So I give you the name Mike Dicka. The tight end didn't even exist pre Mike Dicka. You know, the, the, the term itself wasn't used. It just wasn't. You had split ends, you had ends and, you know, Raymond Barry and Don Hudson and, you know, that receiver out there, why kind of did his thing. And the end was in line blocking. Um, you know, he, he did catch a pass here and there, but, didn't really do a heck of a lot. There was nothing like Mike Dicka, not, no legit um, threat that you would prioritize at the end uh, position. So as Ernie, of course, he said, you know, the longtime Baltimore Colts exec, so he was around John Mackey a bunch. He's kind of lumped in there with Mike Dicka. But, you know, the, the fact that there was a player from that spot who could catch a pass and then just bludgeon you and run you over – and, you know, get a thousand yards as rookie seed. It was never seen before. So you had to call it something else. You had to call it a tight end. And I think that that's where the position really was put on the map as something that should be prioritized and, and game planned for. And, you know, you, you, you could just all of a sudden unleash a totally different type of weapon um, at this burgeoning position. I, I think that Mike Dicka, too. You know, beyond the schematics of it all, and, and hey, that deserves its own conversation. The fact that Luke Johnson's his offensive coordinator, thought this up and George Hallis allowed it. But it was the manner in which Mike Dicka played. He, he, he look, kind of looked at the field as a his own habitat, right, where he's the top of the food chain, and you're going to realize that right away. If anybody said one bad word about him, about a teammate, cheap shot at him, cheap shot at a teammate, I mean, he took that mental note, stored it away, and made you pay. And I think that he understood what football was to its core. I mean, this is a game played by humans with emotions, with 
you know, a sense of vengeance. And that's, that's a beautiful thing. Um, so yeah, Mike Dick, there, there's a reason that we're sitting here talking about him in 2022 when he lit the league on fire in the early sixties, it's, it's the attitude, it's the personality, it's everything beyond the X's and O's, which, you know, it all could have went up in smoke, as you know. I mean, you read the book, Mike. I think what, what might take people by surprise when it comes to Dicka, you know, he gets to Philly, and Talis is kind of fed up with him flirting with the AFL, and they're clashing, so they trade him to Philly, and his life almost completely falls apart. I mean, he's just he's depressed. Uh, he hates it there. They won two games. He's clashing with the head coach. He's, par- he's out partying, drinking way too much, waking up in a haze, doesn't really know what the hell happened, how he got there, how he got home. Um, he, he really could have ended up in a ditch. I mean, it, it could have all ended right there for Mike Ditka. And Tom Landry places a phone call, gives him a shot with the Dallas Cowboys. He completely turns his career, his life, all around because of Landry and the Cowboys. And I, who knows, really, what comes of Mike Ditka, what comes of the tight end position, what comes of football if he doesn't get that call from Landry? Because Ditka became – I mean, he, he embodied the sport itself, right? Like – you, you hear the name, and you think of everything we love about pro football. So I, I think that Tom Landry 100% deserves as much credit as anybody when it comes to the preservation of the sport. John Mackey, you mentioned, that was my second one. And I always have to remind people in central New York, hey, John Mackey went to Syracuse. John Mackey was underrated. I know you know Ernie Davis, Jim Brown, Floyd Little, Donovan McNabb, Dwight Freeney, Marvin Harrison, and everybody in between at Syracuse. The history is there. The recent history isn't, we know, but the history is there. You know, and John Mackey was a huge part of that. Al Davis, I mean, I could go on and on. John Mackey was underrated. John Mackey was an amazing tight end who did more than people think. And I think he gets lost in the history of the NFL. So I give you the name John Mackey. I, I totally agree. And Don Shula, I guess, would be the coach with the vision uh, for John Mackey at the tight end position because you're at a Syracuse. He's, he's kind of out of position. He's playing a little fullback, little tight end, doing a little bit of everything. He, with all the other players, all the other talent they had there, it's not like they were going to feature John Mackey. But there was something to his game that Don Shula realized where, all right, if we, we put this player at tight end, throw him a little pass, He'll just do the rest. <laughs> and it's it's just hilarious to pull up old clips of John Mackey and see what he did to the opposition. I mean, he was so far ahead of his time in terms of just leaving just a pile of rubble in his wake where n- nobody could match his size, his strength, his power. Uh, and, and yeah, I, I think that he more than anybody, maybe of that era, Dicka included, kind of he kind of took the tight end position you know, stuffed it into a cannon and sent it to like this, this, this superhero kind of realm. Because remember, that was right when NFL films was becoming a thing. And you, you, you pair John Facenda's voice with the, the jingles, you know, in the background. And John Mackey just kind of romanticized the game. Like he, he, he took this game that we all, we all, I was born in 1987, that everybody was just watching when they could on TV, maybe listening to on the radio maybe catching highlights here and there, but it was in the 60s that the NFL really forced its way into the mainstream and started, you know, replacing an afternoon of watching baseball with watching pro football. It was that that was really the pivot point for our country's love of football and everything kind of shifting to this sport over baseball. And I think a reason that happens 
is you can cling to characters and you can root for individual players and they they seem larger than life and they're just doing things that we can't conceive like we that we just can't even relate to i mean you can pick up a basketball and you know go out back and shoot some threes you can pick up a baseball bat go out with your buddies to the diamond and, and have a game you can't do the things that john mackey was doing nobody can and i think that there's there's something really cool about that that america just fell in love with so i am 100 percent with you mike and i i was as ignorant as they come when it comes to 1960s and pro football it's funny i, I used to do those top 10 shows at nfl network mm-hmm. you know and you know they'd ask me about certain players and certain moments and i mean i hate i just cringe watching myself make fun of football in the 1950s and 60s and just like poo poo it like i get it they were they weren't as big and as bad and as fast as they are today but you're talking about a lawless ruleless time uh, that was survival of the fittest and dicka and mackie were the two badasses that just gets to put the fear of god in everybody's soul tony gonzalez tony gonzalez you know i said gronk is the greatest tight end ever but I, I do think that Tony Gonzalez can state stake his claim as the greatest. I, I would not argue with anybody who wants to say Tony Gonzalez is the best tight end of all time. Because think about where the position was when when he breaks onto the scene. So he's playing two sports in college. He goes to Kansas City. Von Booker, Derek Thomas, all these Chiefs are kind of looking at this dude thinking, why in the hell is this basketball player on the field with us, this this Tony Gonzalez, as, as Booker said, <laughs> Tony imitated his voice, and he, they all thought he was a wuss, right? Like that, this he didn't deserve to be on on this field with us. This this is survival of the fittest, man. This is a doggy dog world. If this basketball player is going to get eat up and spat out, and Tony Gonzalez, you know, he he forces everybody to look at the tight end position through a completely different lens, where. Look, yeah, he did play football in college. Let's not forget that. But he was the, – the way he caught a football was just so foreign. Now, he's plucking it atop your head. He's he's boxing out linebackers. He's cutting on a dime and wasting DBs. He's, he's just doing the sort of things deep down the field that we had never seen before. And early in his career, he had the benefit of Jimmy Ray, an offensive coordinator, who understood this. So he schemed him up. He force-fed him the ball. The Chiefs stunk, but Tony Gonzalez, before everybody's eyes, was just was just doing things that nobody had really seen at tight end. And and it was just such a matchup nightmare, a matchup problem to, to move him around the offense and, and force your hand defensively. How What are you going to do with a guy like this? Now, what gets lost, though, and the reason I think he, he might be the greatest tight end himself, things just change when Jimmy Ray leaves and, and Dick Vermeil comes in. And they bring the greatest show on turf. And we all assume that, you know, Tony Gonzalez in this offense, he must have been happy, right? He put up pretty good numbers. Mm-hmm. But he was not the first option. I mean, they basically told him, Vermeil, Trent Green, look, you're you're not going to be featured in this offense. It's a very wide receiver-friendly offense. The only problem is Eddie Kennison and Johnny Morton aren't exactly Isaac Bruce and Torrey Holt. So, you know, the, the league still wasn't, you know, opening up their damn eyes and realizing you've got a rare specimen in Tony Gonzalez. He should be your focal point. I mean, you should be feeding this dude the ball as much as humanly possible. He's still got his, right? He's still got, he still put up good numbers. He still made the Pro Bowl. He still found a way to, to force the position to evolve. And then obviously 
that the part of the book that I think will probably catch a lot of people by surprise is when he has a showdown with Mike Malarkey in Atlanta, like to the extreme, <laughs> Mike Malarkey is an old school coach who, who wants his tight ends in line blocking. He's showing him clips of Mark Bruner doing it in the nineties. He wants a grunners, right? He wants, he wants a tight end to be in tight and blocking. And that's just not what Tony Gonzalez was great at. I mean, he could block, but that's not his game. Um, it's just, it's so bizarre to me that at every turn, it, it, the league just was, was so slow to get around to just maximizing and accentuating the gifts of a future hall of famer in Tony Gonzalez. Like why not just take advantage of everything he does so, so well, instead of forcing a talent like this to be somebody he's not, I mean, it was an arranged marriage in Atlanta. Malarkey didn't want Gonzalez. Gonzalez didn't want Malarkey. There's the scene in Tampa Bay where they almost go at it because Gonzalez believed Malarkey was freezing him out of his thousandth career catch. It was bad. It was ugly. And it just goes to show, I think it's a great lesson for all teams and all GMs today. Like, if you've got a special talent, like, don't screw around. Just just take advantage of that talent. Like, you know, put your ego aside and just just let, let the guy eat. Let the guy go to work. National NFL writer Tyler Dunn with us on Twitter, at T.Y. Dunn. He's the founder of Go Long. Make sure you go subscribe to that at golongtd.com, but we've got him on here uh, to talk about the blood and guts, the brand new book, How Tight Ends Save Football. Uh, you can go get it all over online uh, where books are found and uh, and sold, and of course your nearby bookstore. Um, I, I've got a two-parter here, and they, they kind of connect in a way. Um, one of the things I really love about this book is that it, it's it, it's a book that's written about a position that really nobody has written a book about before. You know, it, it's not the history of the quarterback. It's not a, the greatest game ever played with the Colts and Giants. It's not something on the Patriots dynasty. It is a, a book about a position that not a lot of people have really invested in. So wh- what made you decide the tight end to write your first book? And obviously it says the blood and guts, how tight ends save football. Well, how did they save football? Because I think those two things are kind of in connection with one another, are they not? Oh, 100%. Everything's connected when it comes to the tight end position and football, the job description. I think to answer your question, why, why the tight end? It's because they got to do everything. I mean, I, I could have written a book about offensive linemen, defensive linemen in the trenches, just kind of beating each other to a bloody pulp and that being football. And, and that's true. I mean, I think, you know, we, we've, we've talked about this, Mike. I mean, we, we, what we both love about football is, is the violence is the physicality, the sense that this isn't for everybody. I mean, these are gladiators in a profession that we just really can't wrap our brains around. The fact that they go out on a practice field, beat each other up for three hours in a training camp practice when it's 90 degrees, and then slip on into a cold tub or the sauna and talk about each other's families. <laughs> like, it's it's not meant for everybody, and that's okay. I know the NFL would love for them to be out there and hold each other's hands and you know, gently drop Tom Brady to the ground and give him a, a smooch on the cheek. Um, but that's just not a reality that the NFL can live in unless they put flags in, which they might as well. So I'm thinking, all right, you know, I want to write a book. I, I want to search for the soul of this game and what can save it. Yeah. Lineman. I mean, that's fun. Like that, that, that as long as there's blocking and tackling, I mean, they're going to hit each other, but the tight end, you got to do all that stuff, mm-hmm. but you also have to make a catch on third and eight down the field with, with the game on the line. Like you have to make plays late in the fourth quarter when 70, 80,000 screaming fans are all watching you. 
and the spot spotlight is on you. You know, Lineman has a great game if nobody's talking about him for three hours. So that, that whole dynamic of a tight end needing to do everything, um, that was appealing. And we all know about Dicka, or at least we, we thought we did. And I figured I'd start there. I, I, I thought he was probably the first legit tight end, and he was. And let's just see, see who we can hang out with. Let's just travel the country, sit out with all these guys, talk about the soul of the sport. And, and yeah, there are X's and O's to this book, Mike. I mean, uh, the, the whole Kellen Winslow chapters, you know, a lot of the, the Coriel offense and, and how Winslow was used and how the epic in Miami really put the position on the national map. Um, it is a football book, but I feel like even if you've never watched a football game in your life, you'd enjoy it because the, these 15 tight ends, I mean, truly were uniquely qualified to, to, to keep the position and the sport alive because of what they went through. I mean, the trauma and um, the experiences that they've had, Jackie Smith being defined by 5.5 seconds. I can't imagine any of us being defined by five seconds in our life uh, to Dallas Clark, his, his mom, his mom dying in his arms, you know, his, his senior year of high school, uh, J- Jimmy Graham growing up in a group home, fearing for his life. Um, Shannon Sharp, you know how he grew up under a tin roof and you know, it's leaking through, and you know they they have absolutely nothing. Um, ben Coates, his, we we hung out at his home in in North Carolina. I mean, when he grew up, he's on top of roofs, the roofs, his, his whole his whole day, his whole night. I mean, he from from age seven, to age twenty, he's installing roofs with his dad, and uh, I, I think that that experience. Alone when you're when you're going up and down a ladder with shingles over your shoulder and nailing in boards to, to place your foot just just so you don't fall off and kill yourself, that's going to create a certain type of tight end too. Uh, once we kind of dug into what these guys have been through, you can see why they shined at this position that asks you to do a little bit of everything. What do you think the future of the tight end position looks like? I think the teams want the kittle. They want the Mark Andrews. They want the player who can block and run any route, you know, in the playbook. Um, but that, that player is hard to find. I mean, just high schools, the colleges, the pros, guys just aren't asked to block a lot of tight end anymore. I mean, it's it's evolving. That that player is, is moving all over the field. It's that Gonzalez concept to another level. I mean, look at Kyle Pitts where – you know, he's at Florida out wide, and the other team's best cover corner is on him just to have a, any chance. So that it's it's going to that to the extreme, and I don't want to poo-poo that. You want that player. That's that's rare. I mean, it's awesome to have that player. I think we're going to see more and more of that. But uh, I think what's going to be tough is, is finding that complete tight end. I think teams still want that tight end, right? They, they want to scout and scout, and if you've got a willingness to block that's in you just to want to, they figure they'll they'll coach you up and they'll get, they'll get you that to that point. Um, but I, I I think that's why Kittle uh, is, is an all time or in his own regard because there aren't many Kittles around anymore. What do you hope people say about the book when they're done with it? Man, that's a great question. I think that I I really hope that once people read the blood and guts, they have the same um, emotion that I did you know, when I talk to these guys and, and after so many of these conversations, that was, holy heck, I'm going to look in the mirror and examine my own life and attack every day, you know, the same way Dallas Clark did maybe attack, uh, you know, trauma 
the same way a Jimmy Graham did, a Jackie, a Jackie Smith. It, it just, I feel like their, their lives, it, they, they make you want to be a better human being. I mean, that's how I, I wanted to be a better husband. I want to be a better father. I, I just want to be a better brother, a better son. Um, when you just kind of see the work that these guys put in, I mean, with Dallas Clark went through at Iowa, just, just to have any shot in hell at being on a football field at, it's, it's, it's mind-blowing, and I, I think that's why, yeah, you're going to learn a lot about the tight end position and the game of football and how these are indeed gladiators that are in a profession. We, we can't even wrap our minds around, but I think the more you learn about about these individuals on a very individual level and what they've been through, we can all relate to it. The tight end position is unbelievably relatable to our own lives and our own professions. And, and, and I think it just makes us want to be better people. I have two quick hitters that I want to hit, uh, really hit you on uh, around the NFL. But, but before I do that, you, you just brought up, you know, being a better person and, and, you know, through these guys, father, son, brother, the whole thing, which leads me to this. How in the world does Tyler Dunn have time to write a book as good as this with two kids? You're married Life's crazy. You're running go long. You're booking guests left and right. You're doing happy hours with people. You got the Isaiah McKenzie show. I mean, is it literally up at 3 a.m. all the time? You're traveling like crazy. How how did you get this thing done? How did you do this? <laughs> I appreciate that. I mean, it's seriously, because I only have one kid, and I have my toddler most days during the week. And honestly, like 10 minutes is basically two hours of time now you know, and vice versa. I mean, it's, it's, it's just amazing how, how it goes. You don't, you don't really have a lot of time to do anything, you know, and, and you settle in in the afternoon, maybe you get a couple hours of work done. So you think they wake up earlier or they don't nap at all. I mean, how are you doing? How did you do this? A book? This is a big deal. It's a team effort, man. I mean, more than anything, I'm just so blessed to have the wife I do. I mean, Gina is unbelievable. And, you know, we had I mean, Ella, our daughter turns three here in a couple weeks. Yeah. Sonny was born, you know, right around the time I signed the book deal in late July. Hmm. So, you know, we welcome our second child into the world. Training camp start. I'm running go long with the <laughs> podcast, the Isaiah show. I think I, mean, I did some New York Times freelancing on the Sundays oh, and, and I was traveling the country trying to get to know these tight ends. And I mean, yeah, it's, I, it, it, it was, it, she was unbelievable. Gene, I mean, for her to, kind of be, be there with the kids when I couldn't be in and any second I wasn't working, I'm with the kids myself. Sure. Um, and it's just, you just do it. I think any, any parent would tell you that, right. You just, you don't even think about, um, the windows of time and like, all right, I'm going to do this then and that then. And we'll, we'll figure, I mean, you, you, you got to plan out your lives, but you, it's more survive in advance. It's more <laughs> March Madness. It really and is. You're the, you know, the plucky yeah. 15th seat trying to <laughs> knock out uh, the number two and just keep going. I mean, yeah. <laughs> that's what it was. And, um, you know, deadlines help. You know, I, I, I definitely was able to work. I could kind of write around. So, like, I saw Ben Coates and Tony Gonzalez early on. So those were some of the early chapters I wrote. And then Ditka, and I, it just, I was able to kind of reverse engineer at times. And I still recommend people read the book start, start to finish, because as you, as you saw, Mike, a lot of it does intertwine. There is a narrative to follow. Mm -hmm. um, but if you just want to go read Jeremy Shockey, by all means, just jump into that chapter. You can, you can jump around too. 
so that helped like the format of the book definitely helped with the timing but yeah i mean i i had the manuscript in the first week of april and then the editing process from there things happened really really fast um at, at the same time though like you just find a way i mean i I probably transcribed early on. You know, that's the thing. I mean, the transcribing of interviews is what eats up oh. a lot of time. I don't know how many words it finished that. It might have been five, six hundred thousand. Hmm. Uh, I talked to close to a hundred people, but I, and I'm just kind of a freak with the way I do the job. I, I have to transcribe every single word, print it out. You know, use different colored highlighters, see how things interconnect and map out a story that way. Um, so I, I would, I ended up uh, kind of getting on a schedule where I'd wake up at like three, three thirty, And that, that was a, such a perfect window of time when, yeah, the kids are getting up at maybe five, five thirty, but the morning is a groggy period, right? I mean, they're eating breakfast. They're kind of getting into the day. Sonny's taking that morning nap. <laughs> Ella's getting into her lunch nap. And so yeah, from about like three thirty to noonish, I, I could get a lot done. Um, and still have time to get to go along stuff. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, I just kind of, you just kind of survive and you do it and you're blessed. I mean, I, our kids are our whole world and it was, I, I, it was great to still do everything right here under the, under the house. Right. I'm not going to an office. I'm, I'm here. So that, that was really the blessing of it to still be involved and, um, you know, raise these kids and then have a great wife. It's, it was crazy, but we wouldn't want it any other way, honestly. All right. Two quick hitters, Alan Mahomes. This thing that we've got going on with these two quarterbacks, these two teams, I know the Bills have to beat the Chiefs when it really, really matters, but this past win really mattered because of you know playoff positioning, the home field advantage, all that stuff. But Allen Mahomes, Mahomes Allen, I mean, Tyler, where does this compare to all the other things that you've lived through in the NFL? I mean, Brady, Manning, um, I'm 42, I got you by, by a few years, but you know, I, I go back to Lawrence Taylor, I go back you know, to, to the 90s Bills and Bruce Smith and uh just a menace, right? Reggie White, uh, the the transformation of the sport from Deion Sanders, uh, the evolution of the tight end that we've been talking about, all these different things in the NFL. Is this as good as anything we've ever seen, Alan Mahomes? I feel like the way the game is set up today, I, I can't I can't take that leap because it's just okay. It's conducive to fireworks and shootouts. Right, and it plays to them. I get it. The yeah. thirteen-second game was amazing. Like that's an all-time yep. playoff mm-hmm. game. But it was a little too easy on offense for both teams. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like these quarterbacks, you can't touch them. I mean, compared to the '90s, so I'll still take all those matchups from the '90s. Uh, to me, that was the golden age. Uh, but it's it's damn good, and I I tended to even like this this game Sunday more than the playoff game, just in terms of the product because there was a lot of defense being played. I mean, nothing was coming easy for either quarterback, either offense. I mean, they had, they had to earn it. You could, you could just see both teams kind of grinding it out four quarters and you still had the, the type of athletic plays from both quarterbacks and, you know, receivers and running backs on both teams that, that you want to see, but it, it was, it was hard. It was harder. I felt like, you know what I mean? Like 24, 20, give me that game over, <laughs> 40 something to 30 something any day of the week. Um, and they're going to be, they're going to be facing off, right? I mean, they're going to, every is, year, this isn't going away. every year, every year they're going to yep. go at it. So yep. I'm with, it's, it's, it's absolutely right up there. And I think the backdrop of um, the Buffalo bills and owner Terry Pagula really falling in love with Patrick Mahomes, Pagula that is, and wanting him before anybody had an inkling that he, he was going to be any good. 
and putting the trust in Sean McDermott and his process and waiting. Like, if you're going to pass on Patrick Mahomes, I mean, what a consolation prize. Mm. And Josh Allen one year later, it's, it's remarkable. And I think that's going to be going through Terry's head and every time he watches his matchup. Like, what could have been, yet still what is. And you can make the case right now that the Bills are better off with Josh Allen. Now, he's got to do it in the playoffs. They've been eliminated by the Chiefs two years in a row. I'm, I'm not going to go there yet. I, I still think Mahomes is the best player on the planet because he's done it, you know, when it really matters. Um, but holy cow, I mean, Josh Allen and what he can do, what he to, to the quarterback position is, we haven't seen that before. We haven't seen somebody like Josh Allen before, QB. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, Aaron Rodgers, the Packers, how much trouble are they in here in the last maybe minute and a half that I have with you, Tyler? Tons. Yeah, I agree. I mean, this is, it's uh, <laughs> terrible. You know, you're paying him 150 mil guaranteed. You you bent over to acquiesce and give him anything and everything he wants, which I get. I mean, it's hard to find a Hall of Fame quarterback. So I get you have it. And even as that guy gets older, you're just going to do everything in your power to cling and clutch and beg him to stay. Uh, but this is all coming back to bite him. Uh, his, You're seeing why Green Bay drafted a quarterback in the first round. I mean, this is what they feared. Uh, just the inevitable decline physically, athletically. He just can't make the throws he did. I mean, we can we can sit here and blame the weapons around him all we want. Uh, if you pay a quarterback that much money to elevate the players around you. He is unable to do that, and uh, he's just missing throws. I mean, the throw to Aaron Jones up the right sideline that could have been a 50-60 yarder, just missed him. Um, threw a pick six that was not a pick six only because the, his pass was bad enough to hit the ground just enough. He's just not the same player, and the defense isn't elite enough to carry him in a way the Denver Broncos did Peyton Manning in 2015, the way the Saints did in 2020, Drew Brees. That team could have won it all easily. They didn't blow in the playoffs. So I don't know. At least right now it doesn't seem – and that's where I was wrong. I thought the defense was going to be a lot better than what we've seen. They're not bad, but they're not elite. And they, Aaron Rodgers just isn't willing, I guess, to hand the ball off to Aaron Jones more than nine times in a game. So um, you add it all up, and you've got a very ordinary, average, three-and-three three team, to put it kindly. Let, let me sneak one more in that I, I wanted to make sure that I asked you because of the book. Um, in in a minute or so, or you know, under two or whatever, however long you want to take, Dawson Knox for the Bills. I mean, this guy's potential. They just gave him the deal, right? And he is a guy who wants to play every single down in terms of the all-around tight end position. He he obviously had the game-winning touchdown. Allen sought him out. He came. He ran the perfect route. Um, Daw- Dawson Knox, you know, hey, blood and guts here, right? I mean, he is blood and guts. I, I, the Bills are so high on him. What are you so excited about when you watch Dawson Knox and see where he could go potentially here for the Bills? Great to see him as a recipient of the game-winning touchdown as first of the year. I feel like Man, he's probably been through more than we can even wrap our minds oh. around with everything that happened with his brother. And I just feel like off the field, it's, you know, down the road, there'll be some type of chapter written about Dawson Knox that's pretty similar to the ones people read in The Blood and Guts, where he, I'm sure he's been through so dang much that we can't even wrap our minds around. I mean, after he scored the touchdown, I mean, you saw his reaction. He looks up into the sky and it gives you chills. So ho- hopefully he's worked through that mentally, as tough as that was. Because his game itself is, yeah, I think he's a complete tight end. Um, the quarterback background definitely helps. The willingness to block, and he learned how to block in college, that helps. He's on the same page as Josh Allen. I mean, you can see Allen trusts him 
mid play. I mean, he's just kind yeah. of, you know, a maestro, a quarterback directing traffic and Knox is right there with him. Uh, that that's, that's rare. And that's the kind of stuff you hear about, whether it's Manning Clark, whether it's Elway sharp, whether it's, you know, Brady Gronk, that, that, that matters that that relationship, they're really, really tight. So yeah, the future's bright for Dawson Knox. And you know, one other thing, and just to bring it back to the book too, you know, the Ozzy Newsom chapter, it, it, the way, the way he would look a ball in and use his, his eyes, right? Like he never mm-hmm. dropped any balls because of his eyes. You know, we get so caught up in everything else. You know, Dawson Knox, you know, he, he actually went to eye training last year, right? Like he, he went above and beyond to master exactly what Ozzy Newsom was so, so good. at. I mean, you know, we, we, we tend to think, Oh, it's, you know, it's, it's your hands. It's your, like, no, that ability to look a football in there's, there's an art to that. That's a craft within itself. And I think Dawson Knox figured that out a year ago and it's, it's taken his game to a different level. Former Colts tight end Dallas Clark says, just like every great quarterback needs a great tight end, every fan of the game needs this book. And I would agree wholeheartedly stories that span the history of the game. And Tyler does an incredible job bringing it to life. It is called the blood and guts, how tight ends save football by the co-founder and uh, writer for uh, Go Long. Go get your subscription with Go Long as well at golongtd.com. Follow, follow Tyler Dunn on Twitter at tydunn. Go get this book, The Blood and Guts, online where books are sold and your nearby bookstores. Tyler Dunn, nobody's covering the NFL like you, my man. Long form. You've got your own platform. You created it yourself. You're working your tail off. You're getting subscribers. And now you're an author of one of the best books I've ever read. Congratulations and thanks for coming on, man. It really means a lot unbelievably kind of you to say that Mike holy cow that that means so much and I I honestly cannot thank everybody out there enough for I mean it's the investment of of money right I mean to 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 pay for a subscription and to pay for a book but it's the investment of time to sit down and and spend hours um reading a book I I don't take that lightly and I wanted to make sure chapter to chapter player to player story to story it's, it's worth your time so everybody out there thank you so much for adding this to your library absolutely amazing conversation with Tyler Dunn the author of the blood and guts and go long founder uh I wanted to just wrap the podcast here on the built in buffalo podcast network it's a pandemonium podcast make sure you download subscribe rate and review the platform and follow us all over the social channels, including YouTube and Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, you name it. Uh, we're doing seven days of content, uh, built in Buffalo news.com audio, video articles, boom, 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 uh, covering the bills seven days a week, 365 days a year. Uh, I just wanted to, to recap quickly the bills and chiefs game, which was, you know, it was another thriller, uh, kind of in its own way. We did have some, um, you know, memories of the 13 seconds at the end of the first half where the chiefs, kind of were given the field and they went down and, you know, Bucker hits the 62 yard field goal. They tie the game. Um, you know, but the Bills showed a lot of championship moxie in this game. I know that they have to do it when it really, really matters, whether that's the Chiefs or someone else to get to the pinnacle, to get to the stage that they're expected to get to this year. Um, and, and maybe even beyond. Um, but it's so hard in the NFL. Everything's so unpredictable. The Chiefs have been in their way. They might still be in their way again. I do know that that is down the line, but you can't get to that point until you win a game like this, until you play the regular season, and position yourself for the postseason. And the Buffalo Bills went into Kansas City, and the Buffalo Bills uh, really, uh, I I thought, did an unbelievable job from coaching and game management to their superstar players. This was a superstar game for the Buffalo Bills and their top three superstars, starting with, I'm not going to even mention the quarterback first. I'm going to talk about Von Miller. Von Miller 
had four total tackles. All of them were solo. He had two sacks. He rushed uh, Patrick Mahomes like crazy. Uh, if, if you watch the play that sealed the deal, Leslie Frazier was going to a three-man rush. He changed it from four to three, and and he used Matt Milano sort of as a spy. And Von Miller on that play was rushing like crazy towards Patrick Mahomes, forces him to make an errant throw, picked off by Taron Johnson. Yeah, Taron Johnson has a knack for that, right? Remember his pick against the Ravens in the playoffs a couple years back. But, you know, Von Miller caused a lot of that. He caused Mahomes to throw it where he did. There were several others that Von Miller uh, was was all over, uh, Patrick Mahomes, and in the pocket. And he's almost, even when he's not there, He's almost there. You know, he's just the, he's just so close, even when he doesn't get a sack. And he was the ultimate difference in this football game. Clearly on the offensive side, Josh Allen, he is remarkable. And right now I think he's the 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 the, the really the the lead dog for the MVP. Now we have another what eleven games to go. But this guy went into Arrowhead 27 of 40, 329 yards and three touchdowns. He had multiple drops again. Isaiah McKenzie caught a sure touchdown. Uh, They called an option play on the first drive to McKenzie, which made no sense to me. Um, They were humming. They were rolling. Devin Singletary was running it great. Allen was spreading it around. Made no sense to me. Um, You know, they didn't call a play like that again, so I guess they kind of learned from it. Um, But Allen was simply spectacular in 117.6 rating and a uh, 60.4 QBR is remarkable. And then Stephon Diggs is the third superstar. 10 catches, 148 yards, and a touchdown. I think you could make an argument right now that Stephon Diggs is the number one receiver in the NFL. So the Bills went in. They did what they had to do. This was a game with with haymakers throwing back and forth. No score in the first quarter. 10-10 at halftime. Uh, 17-17 at the end of the third quarter. You wondered, you know, who was going to make uh, the other team break, so to speak, right? And, you know, after it was 17-17, the Chiefs get that field goal. Uh, and, and, and in classic Josh Allen, Buffalo Bills form, when they need a big drive, they get the big drive. Dawson Knox, 14-yard pass from Josh Allen. He sought him out. He threw it literally in, in, in a couple of different windows that you, you can't even imagine when you see the play develop. And Dawson Knox ran uh, you know, up and out to the left while the safety bit in uh, to double up Diggs. And, of course, Justin Reed was on Knox, and Knox made the catch. 12 plays, 76 yards, 4 minutes and 27 seconds, 24-20 Buffalo. They end up holding it. Uh, they get the interception from Taron Johnson with just great schemes from Leslie Frazier and great play from the guys who were rushing, led by Von Miller. Uh, Josh Allen hurdling people in this game again, right? Um, and, and just so many different things that, that, that happened in this game uh, between two great teams, two great quarterbacks. Uh, this is why we watch the NFL uh, Chiefs, Bills, Bills, Chiefs. This thing for years to come is set up to give us the A number one entertainment uh, in the entire league. And it was just really, really, really a great win for the Bills as they head into the bye week, of course, and possibly getting Trey White back in week eight. And they'll welcome the Green Bay Packers, a team that's horrendous. I brought them into the conversation with Tyler Dunn for a reason because the Bills will be preparing for them the next two weeks. So it was good to get Tyler's, uh, you know, uh, thoughts on on the Packers and, and where they go from here. But uh, this win was was tremendous. The Bills 
uh, going into Arrowhead. They've shown that they can win at Arrowhead. Um, you know, back-to-back regular seasons. Now, again, got to do it in the postseason. Maybe this postseason they can do it, but it's in Orchard Park. Um, but the Bills, man, they they really put themselves in great position, especially with the schedule coming up with a lot of softies. They got the, you know, not the Jets anymore as a softie, right? But you got Lions, you got the Bears, you got a lot of winnable games there. You got some home games coming up. The Bills have been traveling a bunch in the beginning of the year. I mean, they had to go at the Rams. They had to go at Baltimore. They had to go at Miami. They had to go at Kansas City. Now the home games start coming in, man. Packers, Vikings, Browns, those type of games are at home. You get two with uh, the Jets. Those should still be winnable games. Um, you know, where the Bills are favored heavily because they have Josh Allen and the other team doesn't. Um, so we'll see what happens here. But this victory set them up for, you know, the, 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 the marathon that is the NFL season and getting home field advantage. And uh, it was just a terrific game and a terrific win. Mike Lindsley with you here. It's a Pandemonium podcast on the Built-in Buffalo Podcast Network. Thanks for listening. Subscribe, download, rate, and review, and get us on all the social platforms. Built-in Buffalo. Subscribe to the YouTube page. Get us on Twitter at builtinbuffalo underscore Facebook, Instagram. We're everywhere. Builtinbuffalonews.com for your content as well. Seven days a week, audio, video, articles, you name it, we're doing it. Covering the Buffalo Bills 365 days a year. And now in the meat of the season, it is fun times right now to be a fan of the Buffalo Bills. Thank you so much again for listening. Thanks so much to Tyler Dunn. Go get his book, The Blood and Guts, How Tight Ends Save Football, major bookstores and online where books are sold. I'm Mike Lindsley. I'm on Twitter at Mike L Sports. And hey, as I always tell you, enjoy the games. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.